Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about a school that has been wholeheartedly committed since 2008 to becoming a school that builds the well-being of its students, staff and community. My guest today is Charlie Scudamore, Vice Principal at Geelong Grammar School in Australia. Charlie has been at the heart of his school's well-being commitment over the past decade. He hasn't just had a ringside seat to observe whole school well-being. He has been in the arena leading change. Kia ora, Charlie. We're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Thank you, Denise. Lovely to be here. Oh, Charlie, it's great to talk to you. And look, you have been working on wellbeing for over a decade now at Geelong. And, you know, you really are the pioneering school that I always think of you as the ones who really recognize the importance of learn it, live it, teach it, embed it. And I know that you will have seen huge changes in the way positive education is done over the last 10 years. So what are some of the big changes that you feel like you've seen in that time? Uh, I would say that the biggest change of all has been in staff attitudes, staff well-being. I think it's critical that staff are well looked after if you want them to then also look after the children um, that's in their care. I think I say staff because we did a, we had a strong focus on uh, training staff to start with, but I found that staff began to look at their own situation and reflected more on their own well-being. And instead of looking for external factors like, oh, Geelong Grammar School makes me work so hard, or I've got this problem and it's that person's problem, there was a lot more reflecting on what they were doing in their own lives. Nice. And by adopting some of the interventions that were sort of taught earlier on in the piece, I think that helped them enormously with their own teaching, their own family lives and so on. So I think that was a key thing. And I think the other critical thing for us, um, because we're a four-campus school, POSED introduced, I say POSED because it started off with positive psychology. POSED evolved over time. But even when we did the work with character strengths early on and resiliency work, it gave us a common language across our campuses. And so that was very important because we believe, and I think it's true to say, that language is a very strong influence on culture. So if there was a language that was talking about strengths, if there was a language that was talking about resiliency, kindness, and all those kind of things, um, that then led to a culture change because you couldn't be contradictory in your approach to things if you weren't living what you were achieving. And in terms of, you know, the way that you're doing things now uh, versus how, or the way that schools are approaching POSED now and well, the whole school well-being, what, what are some of the changes that you think have taken place in the last decade that we're all a bit older and wiser? Uh, I, th- I think um, for, for us as a school, one of the significant changes is actually cr- uh, establishing very early on that we didn't want this just to be seen as an add-on. You know, if we're going to do well-being well, then we need to make sure that we have the time, place, the structures to do that well. 
And I know this has been very, very difficult for other schools, but I think one of the significant things is that we now teach it as a subject. It's taught alongside math, science, English, etc. We had big discussions about whether we should have it as a pastoral care, 20 minutes or a bit of a tutor group or after school for a particular group. But we thought for, 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 for our parents and our students to recognise that we see this as an important subject, let's place it in the timetable. So in terms of just the actual change that you can see, is the timetable has changed. So years five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten have explicitly taught lessons in positive education. I think that's actually made a difference. It's not assessed. There's no examinations. You can't fail posed. Um, but, and, and, and I think the classes themselves have evolved over time. But I think that's um, a significant thing that's occurred practically. Yeah, and I know, Charlie, famously, you went and asked other departments to give time to yeah. the teaching of well-being. Yeah. Which departments gave time? Well, it's, it's a good... It's, uh, again, we were very fortunate in our, in our... which a lot of schools won't be able to replicate in any way whatsoever, but we had about 90 of five, 100 of our staff who volunteered their time to do a nine-day course in positive psychology, which I think you know something about, um, back in 2008. Yeah. And the only people that were actually told they had to be there were the senior team, you know, in terms of heads of campus, the business manager, etc., etc. Um, we tapped a few heads of houses and heads of department on the shoulder saying, look, you really should be thinking about this because this is where the school is going to be heading. So we finished the training. We decided we were going to incorporate it into the timetable. And that's when we only had three subject areas which had full allotments in a two-week cycle, and that was maths, science, and English. And I've said before, we put our boxing gloves on, we got the three heads of department in, and we said, right, we're going to take a lesson away from you, and we're going to use those lessons to teach positive psychology education in that time. Not one of them complained, because they had all done the course. And our argument was, if a child's well-being is actually in a better space, the learning that will take place in those nine remaining classes will be that much more effective. And that happened in 2008 when we trialled it for the first time with some Year 10 stuff. They've never asked for it back. We're not going to give it back. And we still continue to use uh, classes to teach this stuff. So I think this is another important thing is, is, is how a school introduces positive, but that, that might come in. Later questions. Yeah, say more. Say more about that now, actually. Well, I just think it's so important that um, there's some really serious thought about how do you introduce this into a school. I do think that a leadership team needs to be right behind this. You know, you could have someone, uh, a small group, who are interested. They go to the courses. They might, but if it's not supported by the principal and other people, it's a top-down, bottom-up approach, really. Yeah. Um, and I think that's critically important. Um, that, that they they that there is that sort of uh, response from everybody in in relation to how it's introduced. And I know there is um, enormous support from the staff at Geelong for this work. And we were talking to Rihanna McGee recently, who said one of the things that really struck her when she arrived at Geelong was the the. the the kind of the widespread support and commitment and that well-being is very much embedded as part of the culture. Yeah, yeah. It's not going uh, anywhere. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, schools have got to be very careful about um, the sustainability of something like this. I think all along we, we, 
we invested time and energy, we had objectives and so on. It was never seen as a short-term fix. It was always seen as something we were going to do long-term. And I think that's critically important. After a number of years, we decided, well, why are we just doing this for teachers? Why are teachers getting the training? Well, why don't, what about our other staff, what we call operational staff? What about our librarians, our cleaners, our, because we're a big boarding school, what about the people that work in the catering areas? All of these people have interactions with students. So we have embedded it by saying everyone in this school should be exposed to these, uh, the teachings of. And so it's been a, and now we have it as, um, it's, it's, it's a, a condition of service. You have to do a three-day POSED introduction to positive education. No matter what position you take in the school, you will do a three-day course. And, and there's top-ups. And this is another thing. We, yesterday there was a session that Rhiannon gave, POSED for you, on self-compassion. Who did she do it with? It was an hour and a half with non-teaching staff, two sessions, so all can go to it. And even so, I mean, and that's another thing. Do you make it voluntary? Do you not make it voluntary? Does a principal turn around and say, we're all going to be doing this and you're all going to be teaching this stuff? What agency are you giving staff when it comes to using this material in the classroom? Um, we teach mindfulness to all of our staff. We do not expect mindfulness to be given every single lesson. And if some staff members don't enjoy mindfulness or it doesn't work for them, then don't deliver it. Don't be inauthentic. Kids can see through this stuff. And we're very lucky as well because we have a POSED team that teaches POSED. They volunteer to teach POSED. But what about the maths, English, science teachers? What about the implicit learning that goes on? And again, we don't force the issue with our staff, but we expect them to follow the philosophy of the school, which is kindness and forgiveness and, and, and so on. But we're not looking at them with a big stick saying, you haven't done mindfulness today. Yeah. And so, Charlie, if, I mean, I think that's kind of leading into, you know, there's all these different changes that have taken place. If I was a student who arrived at Geelong today, yeah. what would I see or experience that's different now than it would have been back in 2007 or six? I actually, the first thing that comes to mind is the relationships between. I think Schools do wonderful things. And so this is the thing we've got to be very careful of. I'll bring in positive. There are always good relationships. Yeah, there's great, you know, there is any school, any socioeconomic background. You, could, you know, there's, there's staff who have that ability to really work well with kids and develop relationships and relationships with each other. But I think there's a stronger focus on that and there's a greater understanding of the importance of it. Mm. So there is the research that backs up why gratitude is important. I mean, there's some tremendous work. Kerry Howes has done some great work from Tasmania on, and I think, you know, gratitude in education, you know, a radical approach. And she did her work in some very sort of complex schools in New Zealand, I think it was. Mm. And, and they weren't the Geelong grammars of this world. There were some really complex schools where she was asking teachers who were struggling with some students, express your gratitude, action your gratitude. And, and, and very honestly, she said that some teachers found that very, very difficult. It worked for some, not for others. But I think it's the understanding of why forgiveness is important. Why do not shame or humiliate students? Um, why do you not do that? Because you want kids to learn from the mistakes they make if they have made mistakes. One of the most significant shifts we've had is getting rid of all detentions. No academic Detentions. Because we're a boarding school, you know, labour detentions, you were caught smoking and so therefore Friday afternoon, go and do some labour on, all that's gone. 
um, which makes it very hard because now what we're talking about is relational management, not behavioral management. Yeah. So that is a significant shift. You know, kids that make mistakes who come to my office, the last thing I want to do is shame and humiliate. So my emphasis on the action is what we're talking about. We still love you. You're a good person. But here's a consequence for you having done a bit of bullying, a racism. You know, despite positive education for 10 years, let me tell you, we have all of these things still at Geelong Grammar School. Can I say one other thing about what the, the changes that I've seen? One of the big issues for adolescents is sharing your emotional distress with someone. We know that in Australia, 25% of our adolescents have a mental issue or something. We know that 75% of that 25% do not seek help. So you would anticipate that with positive education, resiliency and all these things, character strengths and so on, that less students would be going to see our counsellors. Well, it's the opposite. We have more students going to see our counsellors. The greatest number are self-referring. We see that as an absolute success. So the students are self-referring. They're seeking help. Well, I think that's a win for everybody. So it might be because they're not sleeping very well. It might be because of, but at least they're not holding on to it. They're, they're listening to this. Look, you can't solve it yourself. You can't, you know, and, and that message has really got out in a big way. And I think that's a significant shift. So that sounds like a big, uh, some big shifts in the way that teachers are envisaging their relationship with students and the way they want students to feel. And that students are taking that on board and being willing to, or having a clearer picture of, what well-being is possible yeah. and that I can get help if I'm not in that space. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's very that's true. Um, and um, Charlie, one of the things that I think has really moved in the last 10 years with work in positive education is I think at the start there was a feeling of, oh, my gosh, we've got to get the research and do it and implement yeah. it. And I think we've got a growing understanding of the, important of, the importance of, act- of student voice and student engagement. Yeah. How have you seen that evolve at Geelong? Yeah, I think the, the whole research question is a really important one. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not a researcher. I'm not a doctor. Um, I, I, I understand the importance of it. I'm a, I'm a teacher, and I, I love the application of this in the real world. And so when Geelong Grammar School fortunately met with Marty Seligman, uh, we had an opportunity to work with, and we worked out all this training, Marty wanted control groups at the school and the principal at the time, although we wanted benchmarking, and we probably in the end could have, should have done the benchmarking. He said, no, we believe your research. You, we're going to introduce this across the board. So I think Marty, Chris Peters, and other people, you've got to be joking. There's got to be some form of measurement that takes place. And we see that possibly as one of the errors that we make. But, but we I, also, I know but we I also remember at that time going, you saying, this isn't a research experiment. Yeah. This is because we want to do something for the well-being of our students. Yeah. And, and I do remember you saying, if this means that one student will not self-harm or one student will not take their own life, then that's our measure of the value of it. Yeah, no, I, that, that's exactly right. I've yeah. said that. We've invested huge amounts of money only because we're a pioneer school. Yeah. Other schools do not need to invest huge amounts of money. I mean, what they do need to invest in, and again, it's something that we can talk about, is the uh, investment into staff training. I think it's critically important that staff understand what this is about. 
But when it comes to the implementation of this, you know, you talk about what student engagement. We've got student groups. We've got a committee, a POSED student committee that works. They support the, the – sometimes we collapse the programs for our year 7s, 8s, 9s, 10s, even at year 11s, and we, we have whole day focusing on character strengths or something like that. We're brave enough to do that, saying that we will, we will collapse the academic program and we're going to have a day focusing on – uh, things that go well, or grow your mind days and things like that. I love this. So I was talking to another school recently, and they talk about crashing the timetable. Is that yeah. a similar thing? You just say... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hello. And the other thing with research, we've done long... Look, even though we didn't do the benchmarking, we've done some phenomenal work with, uh, you know, Diane Vella Broderick from Melbourne University, yeah. with University on eudaimonic approaches to well-being. Uh, which is really interesting work. So we've got longitudinal studies. We can provide some evidence that in some areas of the school, well-being is very, very strong. But interestingly enough, which came out of our research, which is what I think research is for, is that our year 11s, actually, despite having taught POSED in years 5 and 6 and 7, they go to Timbertop, and that's an amazing year. Resilience is if they come back and do three lessons a cycle 150 minutes they do in year 10. Our year 11, the results show their anxiety and stress levels were higher than state average figures, according to the research from Melbourne University and their benchmarking that they've done. So we picked this up four or five years ago. And ever since then, we've had at the end of semester one, we have a resiliency retreat that takes place where they finish their semester one course. There's a bit of exams. And we two days, we focus on revisiting things on resiliency and a number of other things, which then is a booster for the rest of the year 11 and a booster for year 12. Mm. But it's all very well doing the research, but what are you doing it for? I'm not exactly an application of it in the real world, and I think that's what we're good at doing, I think. So, Charlie, what kind of things do you measure, you know, what year levels are you measuring at and what kind of things are you measuring now? We do, um, we, we do the Melbourne University... Uh, profiler. The profiler. And so we do that with five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, we do it with the year group. So every year we do a profile um, with them. And then what we do is we, we target certain areas as a result of that particular. We might, might adapt, for instance, the teaching that takes place in year five to cater for what seems to be a gap in a particular area. Um, and so essentially it's used as, as, as a – so although we didn't do that uh, research to start with in terms of benchmarking, we do follow up with, yeah. the research longitudinal studies you know how effective are these interventions and that was a major project which we got funding for and so on so do the students who learn about gratitude or learn about active constructive responding or learn about strengths are they applying them in their real lives and and diane vella broderick did this three-year longitudinal study but a real focus on Timbertop, where it was shown there are some interventions that the students do use, and it was dependent upon the time in the year. So that's a really detailed study. It was also cortisol stuff done, you know, stress levels in the body. So they were taking cortisol sampling, random sampling. You know, they're walking around. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, in fact, probably too much was collected in the end, but we then followed that up in years 10, 11, 12, where they continuing to use these things. And there are certain interventions which certainly do stick with students. And, a, a greater proportion of them use. And Which small, are the ones that stick? I think, this, it's interestingly, uh, 
we still uh, do the resiliency work that Karen Rybich did. So it's almost like that old, um, it, it, the ACT model uh, of looking at things like... Uh, you look at thinking traps and... The, all that, Denise, it's exactly the thinking traps. Although we moved on to other types of resiliency training in years 10 or exposure, but the thinking trap, real-time resiliency, yeah. activating events, that sticks with the kids. And I think putting things into perspective, oh, they all remember that thing. What's the worst can happen? What's the best that can happen? What's the reality here? So that, those things sort of stick. Mindfulness, you know, if, if a school wants to do mindfulness and it's the only thing they want to look at, I would argue adolescence, you're going to capture 10% of your population. They're not ready for it, many of them. It doesn't resonate with them. So you, I think this smorgasbord of things to do with well-being, you know, gratitude letters, gratitude training, forgiveness, there's a whole range of things that you can do. I think it's important to have a smorgasbord rather than a main course only because you do not know what's going to resonate with your staff. You don't know what's going to resonate with your students. And as I, we said earlier, if one of these interventions sticks, stops a child from self-harming, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So I think that's, a, that's an important thing to take into account. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so it sounds like over the last decade that the students at Geelong have got, have got more involved in, well, I guess you get feedback from the well-being profiler on how on what's working for students and that helps you adapt the program but yeah. you're also getting much more direct feedback from the students themselves yeah i know you've got swap teams the student well-being action teams and um and you have other do you have, what else do you have that allows students to give you feedback well i think um the classes themselves you know actually when you're in a classroom talking about but they, look the, the students themselves if you're teaching this to, to ELC, we do. We, our ELC through to grade six, possibly grade seven, eight, the kids just lap it up. They enjoy it. You can do mindfulness with them. You, I've been into some superb grade two classes on gratitude and so on. When you get into sort of year eight, nine, and ten, the teaching is quite tough, and the kids don't like to say, oh, we like positive. So it's a, it's, it's a really – but the thing is, some of the students at the school say, why do we have to go to chapel? Because they have to go to chapel at this school. Why do we learn RE and all about God? And I say, well, what, what is, what's wrong with it? And they say, oh, they can't articulate why they don't quite like going to chapel. And some students say, well, why do we have to do this posed rubbish? You know, I'm sick and tired of it. Well, and then they start arguing. I'm not sure why I need to talk about confirmation bias all the time. And so and if I hear negativity bias mentioned one more time, and I'm tired of hearing about the strengths, what they're doing is using the language of positive. For me, that is a tremendous success because it's been embedded into them. And the fascinating thing is, this includes my own son. Mm. At the time, oh, Dad, I'm sick of this positive. They leave school. Our, our retention rates at university are pretty high compared to others, which is interesting. That could be because of the boarding and other things. But so many, when they contact me, they say, Mr. Scudamore, can you write me a reference, please? This is five years after they've left. And I say, um, oh, okay, what is it? And they say, oh, by the way, do you still do that posed stuff? And I say, yeah, we do. That's really helped me since I left school. The important thing, this is not for school only. This is for life. We have a large rural community at Geelong Grammar School. 
Rural communities suffer from high rates of depression, etc. High rates of self-harm and suicides. So if, again, it's, it's not about just the now, it's about the future. And if students are also setting up POSED clubs at universities, in their communities, etc., we, I don't know how much of that is really going on, but for us, that is phenomenally important. It's not for now, because 75% of our population is going okay. But we also know that of that 75% that are going okay, 40-50% of them will experience some difficulties later in life. Yeah. It's about life. And then we, you know, we can talk I about think, parents as well. Because well, but Charlie, just let's do that. Because so, you know, I, I know that you're talking about these students taking things back into their community. And one of the things that I think has been the hallmark of the work at Geelong is that you have always been keen to share this work with the parent community and the wider community. So yes. tell us what's worked best for you there. Look, the... It's almost, it, Marty Seligman wrote the book Authentic Happiness, and I've said this before, and that was the book that really captured me. I think, I still think, I know he left that behind when he wrote Flourish, you know, or Flourish and whatever, and he went down the primer model. But the two things that really resonated with me was this concept of, of the second, it was talking about hedonic happiness, and that's okay, but it can lead to addiction and all the other negatives that can go along with hedonic, but it's still important to have that. He spoke about engagement, doing something to the best of your ability and also using your strengths to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And if every kid can find something that they're passionate about, that leads to an authentic type of happiness. But the third one was serving something bigger than yourself. And that was. And so as a school, we thought, is this really for Geelong Grammar? Yeah, we're forking out a lot of money for this stuff, but can't we get others to be involved in this? Can we not share our findings with other people? So the work with... Scores from all backgrounds, which has led to the institute being developed and it's led to courses, but initially working with schools from low socioeconomic backgrounds, from Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Islamic, Jewish, it was just phenomenal because the politics and the nationalism and identity went out the window and what we were talking about is what can we do for the youth who are placed in our care? And so there was this wonderful collaboration which I believe still exists and needs to exist, and we exist, and we've got to be very careful about where POSED is going because you know there's a lot of people jumping onto the bandwagon. There's a lot of self-promotion. There's a lot of you know. I think there's got to be a real altruistic. You can you still got to make cover costs and so on, but why are you doing this? We're doing this because we want to make the world a better place and a more peaceful place. And it shouldn't become a money-making venture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's, that's a critically important thing. Absolutely. And I think going back to parents, you know, the parents, the way we've introduced them to that is obviously through newsletters and so on, but we have run courses for our parents. Uh, and it's hard to get parents who live all across Australia to come in. But we have done a three-day course, phenomenally successful. And I, and I was one of the trainers for that particular one when we first did it a few years back. And, and I asked them the question, what are you here for? Well, we want to find out what, our, what you're teaching our kids. Because the majority of parents have been very supportive. They want their kids to be happy. They want their kids to be engaged. And so we've had very little resistance from our parents uh, with the positive education. But we want to know what you're teaching our kids. After the third day, these people were thinking about their own lives, about their own jobs, about how they manage their own families. It was incredibly powerful. And we've had one-day courses with our parents. We've had 
uh, evening courses spread over six. So we've only trained about 250, 300 of our parents and so on. But the word of mouth is really significant. But I will let the listeners know one of the most powerful things we have done is had sessions with grandparents. Oh, that's lovely. Our grandparent afternoons or when they visited the school for, for two hours, that has been remarkably successful because many of them, are, some of them are primary carers of these young kids and the special relationships they have, that has been, and that came from a grandparent body that said, we'd love to know more about this positive education. And they have taken to it unbelievably well. And they've incorporated it into their own lives, exercise, whatever. It's brilliant. I love it. And I, you're the only school I have heard of that has worked with grandparents. And when I think about it now, I go, oh, we should, of course, why, why did no one, why was no one else doing this? It's great. Bring them all together. You know, bring the grandparents, the parents and the children together to do a, a you know, wouldn't it be, a, we've done children and parents together, haven't done it enough, but the times we've done that, it's been so successful. And finally, Charlie, what is your go-to strategy for boosting your own well-being whenever you get frustrated or down? Um, there's no you? doubt. Right. Physic, I'm a very physical person. And so I genuinely, well, we've got, you know, one of the, the, the six domains is positive health. And into that comes walking, running, fit, being at one with nature. I love nature. When I came to Christchurch, and that wonderful, seriously brilliant um, conference, POSED conference, at such a sad time, and to see the earthiness of that. We followed that up by my wife and I by going to Abel Tasman National Park and just walking, being at one with nature. Yeah. But I love the notion of you feeling blue, touch green. Yeah. Charlie, it's a complete delight to talk to you. And I know that you and I could actually keep going chatting for another few hours, but thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to coming back to New Zealand uh, and, and participating in those wonderful POSED courses that you run there. So I'd love to be doing that. And Charlie, everyone who heard you in New Zealand is looking forward to you coming back. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you, Denise. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their wellbeing and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.